it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to be privileged to have the former football coach, Tommy Tummerville, the Republican uh, uh, from Alabama on the Armed Services Committee. He'll be joining us soon. Maybe talk a little about what's happening with Ukraine. It looks like Ukrainians making some big advances. And will the Republicans, if they gain control of the House, continue to write the checks for Ukraine? I hope so. I think it's definitely worth it, but we want some accountability. Callie Shimkus at the bottom of the hour provides some depth to the news from Fox and Friends first. And, of course, we have your phone calls, one 408 And the countdown begins, especially for, for my listeners over in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm going to be there Sunday, Sunday night. Go to briankillme.com. It's going to be America great from the start. Be able to talk about things like the president of Freedom Fighter, now out on paperback, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the battle to save America's soul. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well as Brandon, Mississippi. I'll be there on Saturday. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You asked whether I thought this war would last so long. No, because I didn't start this war. But Ukrainian society united and showed that it was ready for these challenges. Ukraine takes back a major city, the first major one to fall to the Russians, and they got it back. And the Russians go on TV to announce their retreat. Is this the beginning of the end for Russia? The war? Is it time to talk? Number two. And in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our magnificent, oh, it's so beautiful, White House. We're going to take it back. My intention is that I run again. This is ultimately a family decision. I think everybody wants me to run. Really? Uh, Everybody? Without a red wave, what does it mean for a Biden-Trump rematch? Is that what you want to see? Both men ready to go? Would you be upset if they both decided to go and leave? Number one. Before the midterms, the Democrats had the House. They don't have it today. And our majority is going to grow. They're going to lose the Senate by December the 6th. You're going to have a Republican majority in both houses. You lost. That would be the case. If that's the case, that's true. Power play on delay with the majorities in the House still too close to call and the Senate up in the air uh, and ballots yet to be tallied. We'll examine the races that remain and what it means for our nation while the GOP already forming its majority leadership team in the House inside the Republican drama. Why? Because from what I could see and listen, I'm in New York. They're in Washington. Kevin McCarthy's earned the right to be speaker. He almost got it last time. He does not want to sell his soul to do it to the Freedom Council. Uh, he doesn't want to do that. I don't think he has to. I think Congressman uh, Jim Jordan is in his, on his side, founding member of the Freedom Caucus. So I don't think it's going to be necessary. But I would like to see him do it. Uh, I would like to see him get the shot. Number one, he's also raised money uh, for just about everybody. Now, did they have the correct strategy? Probably not. The Democrats spent about $200 million. Uh, we'll uh, spend about $200 million, uh, on various races. But for the most part, the Dems did actually have do better than the real clear average did, about three points over what they were supposed to, uh, according to the polls. Of the 64 seats considered competitive 
uh, in the House. The Democrats won about 20 of them. But Republicans need to net only five, as you know, to win the majority. That's why technically they were at 207. But there are races not yet called, like, for example, Ryan Zinke. He's up by four. How many more days are they going to wait to give uh, to decide this race? So the biggest story is what's going to happen with the Senate. And why does it take so long in Nevada, again, and Arizona especially, to count votes? Every time. I know there's going to be problems. Got it. But when you have a system that just says we're not counting drop box ballots, get this, 300 boxes, drop boxes, have not been brought in yet in Nevada. 300. Are you crazy? You're not only doing drop boxes, which never really existed before the pandemic. You don't even have a system to pick them up and count them in a timely manner. Republicans are disappointed. There is no red wave, but they shouldn't be disappointed that they have a degree of power, at the very least the House. I don't think the president fully understands what has changed. And before we do that, let's talk about what happened. Tom Bevan of Real Clear told this to Laura. The problem was, and somewhat surprising, independence. Cut 16. The most stunning thing about uh, those exit polls is that Democrats won independence by two points. If you look back at, at midterm elections, uh, independents have traditionally sided with the party, the out party, the in you know the party that's seeking change, not for the status quo. I mean, by you know 10, 12, 15, 20 points. If you look back at 2010, 2014, 2018, um, so this is a this is a strange development from last night, and it looks like Republicans you know turned out, uh, but it looks like while they they turned out uh, they lost the independent vote in a lot of these really close house races around the country and obviously it's playing at the senate level as well so i don't know how much longer we're going to be able to do polls nobody wants to take them it's impossible to find people who's being honest who would really tell no one trusted the pollsters not going to turn around and out you and then you're going to get be blitzed by mail or by anger depending on who you voted for feel like an outcast so people i think that sooner or later we're just going to almost give up on polls so the current power uh, in the House is 207 Republican can, uh, winners, 184 for Democrats. you got to get to 218. It looks like they're very close to doing that, maybe as early as today. On the other side, it's 49-48 Republicans. But here's what's in the balance. What's in the balance is uh, what's going on, Adam Laxalt and Musto uh, and uh, the senator, uh, the senator over, the sitting senator whose name will lose me right now, uh, Carol Mustow, whatever her name is, uh, but she is trailing right now. On the other hand, you have uh, you have Blake Masters trailing Mark Kelly by about four points. But the problem with Arizona is there's so many uncounted ballots. They estimate over 600,000, 300, excuse me, 400,000 in Maricopa County alone, which is supposed to be uh, one that tilts to the right. So you cannot say that Blake Masters has lost. Now, if Masters win and Laxalt wins, you don't need necessarily to win the runoff, although it would be nice for Herschel Walker. Now, Herschel Walker got 140,000 less votes than Brian Kemp. Both same party, same ticket. They won over and voted for Warnock, went back to Kemp. 140,000 difference, 35,000 between the two candidates. But it looks like if the... Libertarian candidate goes away, which he is. It's going to go down to two. And if you get Brian Kemp, not President Trump, you get Governor DeSantis, not President Trump. But you don't really need Rick Scott. You just need Rick Scott's money. You get Tim Scott in there. You get the Republican all-stars as opposed to the Democratic retreads. I think he's got a real shot. The other subplot is what's going on with Donald Trump. 
What's he going to do? It looks like because Herschel's in a runoff, he is going to back off. That's nice. I'll talk to Senator Tommy Tuberville about that. But looking at Arizona, Carrie Lake, who I thought, maybe you thought so too, was the emerging superstar among this rookie class of politicians. She has not won yet, and she is now technically trailing with the most overrated, uh, untalented Democratic nominee who happens to be the Secretary of State counting ballots. If they start counting ballots today, they should move in front, should Carrie Lake, for good. That's what she told Tucker last night. Cut seven. I feel 100% certain I'm going to win. The question is, how big will that win be? Can you believe this, Tucker? We still have 650,000 votes that have not been counted. And guess who these voters are? They're the people who showed up on Election Day. They're the people, 275,000 of them are people who brought their mail-in ballots to the polls on Election Day because they don't trust the mail and they don't trust the drop boxes. So guess who those voters are? There are voters. And we're only down by a few thousand votes right now. When those votes come in, I think we're going to see a lot of liberal minds kind of blowing up. Right. A couple of things for now on. Republicans have to get used to the fact that there's going to be early voting. You can't say, well, I like it the old fashioned way. You got to get there early. Number two, if you're going to have debates, you got to push them back. And number three, these states have an obligation, and I wish there was a national body to push him to straighten out their act. I'm talking about Pennsylvania. I'm talking about Nevada. I'm talking about Arizona because too much lies in the balance, and it leads to the distrust that people have inherently in the system, many of it lingering from 2020. Democrats were protesting in 2016. 2000, everybody was dissatisfied with Florida. Florida took a couple of cycles, but they straightened themselves out. Time for the others. All right, when we come back, Senator Tommy Tuberville, then Carly Shimkus, Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There were still plenty of Republicans in the style of Trump that won election that will contribute to the new House majority and possibly the new Senate majority. But I think when you look at Governor Brian, let's look at Georgia, where I just returned from. Governor Brian Kemp wins with 53, 53.5% of the vote. He romped, right? In, in the same election, in the same contest where uh, president, same state where President Joe Biden's approval ratings were, were under 40 percent. Herschel Walker is battling neck and neck, a point behind in a runoff. He ran as a culture warrior more so than a kitchen table issue oriented candidate. And right. I think you see what works, what worked last night and what didn't. 
Well, I, and I also think the, the personal attacks on him and his background also played into it. Jo- joining us right now, another person who starred in football before they became a, a, a political heavyweight, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama joins us. Senator, welcome back. Morning, Brian. How are you? Good. Uh, first off, I don't know if your sources are better than the general sources, but in Arizona, have you shut the door on Blake Masters yet, being that there's so many uncounted ballots? No, there's way too many out there, Brian. I don't know what's taking them so long, but uh, it is what it is, and we got to we got to finish this thing out. You know, I, you know, we got a lot of people that act like they're going to jump off the cliff on this. I'm talking about Republican. I, I feel a lot better uh, now than I did the last two years. You know, I've only been in this business since two years of campaigning yeah. and 21 months of the Democrats running our country in the ground. And man, do I feel a lot better now because now we don't, it looks like we're going to get the house and we don't have to lean on Manchin and Cinema, two Democrats to save our, uh, our country in terms of some bills that just absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of positive things, Brian, and we still got a chance to get the, the Senate. It's going to be hard, uh, but with all this mail-in balloting stuff, uh, it's just, it's hard for, for anybody uh, on the Republican side to overcome that. But Herschel's a, he's a lot stronger candidate, Brian, than what people think. He's a good person. He's a good guy. He believes in this country. And I tell you, a lot of people are going to resonate with that that didn't vote for him the first time after seeing now for the next four weeks. Well, we're going to see because now there's no libertarian to take 2%. Uh, Warnock had about 35,000 more votes. One of the keys, I think, would be getting Brian Kemp involved. Brian Kemp said he was never contacted by the by the Walker camp. Was that a mistake? And do you expect to tap into him? Do, would you would you tap into Kemp? Uh, if you were Herschel? Well, if I was in Herschel's spot, I, I obviously would. You know, he's popular. I know Brian. He's, he's done a great job there as governor. Uh, people respect him for what he's done. Uh, but I think it's going to have to be an all-out uh, blitz. If you look at the left, I mean, they bring in the Clinton cartel and the Obamas and, and the Oprah Winfrey's and, and Hollywood and, and – uh, in all the uh, major league sports, and they use everything at their disposal. Plus, they have, what, 80%, maybe even more, the national media, which we all have to overcome. So we're, you know, we're, we're an underdog to begin with. And so we've got to do the right things in terms of, of making sure we get the message out there. And Herschel will do that. He's a worker now. He's worked hard, and we just got to, we got to help him as much as possible. But at the end of the day, you know, it's about Herschel Walker versus uh, the preacher from uh, – Atlanta. And so it's, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle, but it can be done. Right. I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. So everybody waits in the balance. What about this so-called spat that it seems to have existed between Rick Scott and Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell takes money away from Blake Masters. Mitch McConnell takes money away from Don Bullduck. He decides to pour it into Ohio. Rick Scott uh, tries to backfill. They're both asking money from the same, from all you guys to give to the general fund. How bad was that? Well, you know, we all try to help, and uh, I think as as a as a group of us, and there's 50 of us, uh, everybody should have a say so about this. But right now, it's just the leadership. Uh, I really like uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, you know, he he knows the Constitution. He does a lot of good things. But when it comes to the campaign, and you know, we put a lot of money in the, in Alaska that we already knew we were going to win. And uh, I think there's going to be some thought about that. But again, because, I don't because Mitch McConnell yeah. wanted Murkowski as as opposed to Chewbacca, yeah. who's more of a traditional Republican. So he tries to win a race that you guys already won. That that to me is terrible. 
Well, I mean, that's got to be discussed. Uh, and, again, we can we can uh, second-guess all the moves and, yeah. and all those things, but uh, this is two times in a row that, that we're coming very close to losing the, the majority in the Senate. And uh, a lot of it, go, you know, being a head coach, right. you know, you lose, uh, you sometimes pay the price. Now, I don't know what, what that's going to happen, but there's got to be a, a heart-to-heart with everybody within the Republican Party in the Senate about how we do things and, and all those, uh, but uh, you know, I, I'm not going to throw any stones at anybody. Again, I'm really upbeat at where we're at because we got a chance, Brian. We have got our teeth kicked in the last two years in the Senate, and we've had to lean on Democrats. Now we have another chance, and we've got four mm. weeks to, to 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 get the ball over the goal line to say, hey, we got control of the Senate. Uh, but we're going to have to have a lot of help, and, and uh, we've got to make sure things are right in the state of Georgia in terms of when the election comes around that everybody understands the now, two candidates. Now one, now one question yesterday in the, in the hour presser about the border. You just went there. Senator, what can oh. you do? What can you do to stop this? You're not the president. It, it, it's madness, Brian. Absolutely madness of what's going on down there. And it's, and it's an offense that that at the end of the day, Joe Biden will never overcome in, in, in his presidency of what he's allowed to happen. Uh, he's putting people in danger. He's killing people in terms of fentanyl. Uh, and he's putting a lot of Americans in jeopardy in terms of their jobs, in terms of we're going to have to tax people more uh, at the end of the day. The Democrats will because we're having to pay for all this. Just the Del Rio section alone, Brian, is paying. And this is only 200 miles of the border, and there's 700 miles. They pay 15 to $20 million a month just to put these people up and check them in and do things to, to make sure that uh, uh, people in this country are safe. But it's, it's a shame we've got to this point. Uh, nobody's listening. They're, they're tone deaf. But I saw yesterday where the president said, asked him what he's going to do different this term. He said nothing. And so we've, we're going to have to deal with it, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, he's got a new reality. If he doesn't have the House, he's going to have to deal, literally deal. I mean, the only deals that got done was the Senate got it done on their own. When it came to voting, when it came to infrastructure, whatever you think about it, they got it on guns. Excuse me, not uh, so that yeah. it's not that he he was the uh, he you know he orchestrated it. He just signed right. it. Right. It's just uh, <laughs> you can't make some of this up, Brian. It's just it's well, not the American way. It's well, really real quick, were you going to go to you going to go to Georgia to help out? Oh, you bet, you bet. I'm only. 60 miles from the Georgia line, living in Auburn, Alabama. We will be there and be there quite often. Again, we got to give Herschel the best chance. Uh, he's going to be the underdog, uh, but uh, I like his chances. He uh, he's the only one on, in this race that I uh, that I see now that's going to be on the ballot that won a Heisman Trophy uh, at Georgia and won a national championship. So uh, uh, he got a great opportunity. We just got to help him. And uh, again, the mainstream media are going to rip him apart. And uh, we, we've all got to go there and personally help him. And, and we've got to get people out to vote early. You know, the Democrats vote early. I don't know where they get all, get all of them from, but they get them out early. And, and uh, we've got to just make sure this is, a, this is a fair game. And make sure you've got to back up your debate so people get a chance to see guys like John Fetterman being unable to speak before they actually fill out their ballot, because I think that makes a yeah. difference. Uh, Senator Tommy yeah. Tuberville, thanks so much. All right, Brian. Thank you. You yep. got it. Hey, when we come back, I'll, I'll welcome in Carly Shimkus, and we'll open and taking some calls, one 408 Much more to discuss. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Democrats need an affirmative agenda beyond uh, democracy, uh, election denial by Donald Trump and his allies, the abortion issue, and steady as we go. Biden has made reference today to being more bipartisan, reaching across the aisle. He's got to do that if he wants to have a real shot at re-election, especially if there's a nominee other than Donald Trump. Doug Jones, uh, talking about what, what, what everyone should take away from this last election, which was not a red wave, but it looks like red could, uh, the Republicans could be in power. With me right now, a woman covering this from 4 in the morning on, Carly Shimkus, co-host of Fox and Friends First. Uh, Carly, uh, that's true. You can't just run an election denial. But for the most part, no one ran an election denial. It was just one of the qualifications that Donald Trump was looking for in order to endorse <laughs> That's the way you. of putting it. Uh, yeah, and uh, the thing that struck me yesterday uh, about the president was that during his press conference, he said that a majority of people support his economic agenda and that in the second half of his presidency, he's not going to change a single thing. And, I mean, he's been emboldened. Uh, You know, if you're the president, everybody was saying red wave, red tsunami. I had a guy tell me that he was predicting, a guy who is deeply involved in politics, he was predicting 70 House seats. Uh, So there's that. Um, I also think that it's going to be pretty difficult for anybody to convince President Biden not to run for re-election. And then you get into the conversation about 2024, which naturally happens the day after the midterm elections, although we're still in the cycle because we don't know what's going to happen uh, in the end yet. So uh, we don't know either. It looks like the, the House is going to get uh, get the majority, and that will give Kevin McCarthy a chance to get the gavel. Right. I believe he should. I think he earned it. Uh, I also think you could look at these races as part of 2020. In 2020, Republicans came back so strong in the House. Yeah, they gained nope. 14 House seats. That is huge. And a lot of people say that's part of the story because they had to just gain five now. Here's Molly Hemingway last night talking about this. Cut 14. Republican leadership really failed Republican voters. Republican voters were excited. The the ground was very fertile for a big Republican victory. Joe Biden's approval is in the toilet. Uh, 75 percent of the country thinks we're going in the wrong direction. Just objectively speaking, things are bad in the country, whether it's the southern border or crime or foreign policy, inflation. And that Republican leaders could not turn that into a big victory for Republicans really is an indictment of how they're running things. I could not agree more with your opening where you talk about the importance of understanding that elections are not run anymore like they were in the 1980s. There is now extensive period of voting where people who are smart are running get out the vote operations every day, hauling in ballots every day. Republicans keep on thinking that Election Day is a single day, and they think if they get everybody excited for that last day that that will be sufficient. That is not sufficient. And you can't be nostalgic about it because this is the new rules. Don't be, I'm angry about it. It doesn't matter if you're angry. Yeah. These states have made their decisions. It's time for the Republicans right. to make the adjustment. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if, if it's Republican leadership's fault or like a campaign mismanagement. People are looking at the tape right now and going to try and decide what went wrong because something clearly did. Even if Republicans gain a majority in the House and the Senate will see with Georgia, um, 
uh, Ron McDaniels was on Fox News uh, yesterday, and she was saying that when you're watching a sporting event, you don't care if your team wins by one point or ten as long as they win the game. But that's that's not necessarily true when it comes to politics. I mean, margin of victory does matter. And also it's people's lives and livelihoods. A lot of these candidates were reading the headlines. They had maybe their internal polling that said something different. But the narrative was that a lot of these people would win. And there were such really great candidates, too. And um, Kevin McCarthy did do a good job of outreach on that front. When you think about the diverse candidates, Alan Fung in Rhode Island, the wrong Singletary, he lost in Rochester. Barely. Yeah, and he was running on the um, anti-crime stance. Um, the southern border, the group of Hispanic women, all but th- one lost. In New Hampshire, there's this woman named Carolyn Lovett. She worked with uh, Kaylee McEnany um, in the press office for Trump. Uh, she's 25 years old. She's, she's going to be okay, but she was a great candidate, and it was looking like her race was neck and neck. So it is unfortunate um, that a lot of these candidates that – could have had these historic wins or really made you know some great difference, did not end up pulling it off. They didn't end up pulling it off, and we're still waiting to see if the states can pull it off. It's so aggravating for me to see Arizona and Pennsylvania. They struggled a little bit, and they did get a result, but it was more definitive than the one during the presidential. As you know, the, the President Trump would drove him nuts. He was winning on Election Day, but he didn't win because he didn't start counting the other votes. Yeah. Number two is uh, is Nevada. Do you believe 300 drop boxes just got cleaned out? I mean, it is Thursday. <laughs> I know. You're just getting to 300 drop boxes. Now there's over Are we six- making this too complicated? Like what? I don't get it. I don't get it either. I mean, it's I don't understand. People are looking for a job. If you are secretary of state of any state, you know your main thing is handling elections. So why would you want to have a situation where you are not prepared to run a clean election because the country's scrutiny is on you? I mean, my goodness, Arizona, how crazy is it that Maricopa County is giving us problems? Yeah, and it was like – I'm actually not even 100 – the story has changed with Maricopa County because in the beginning it was the tabulator that wasn't taking the ballots. And then it – I guess this could now be related to the tabulator. Right. Well, they were saying that the ink was too light, so maybe that's why the tabulator wasn't taking the ballots. And then they were saying now that there was a shortage of paper, which also happened in Pennsylvania. When you heard the thing go down in Maricopa County, you go, oh, my gosh, this is going to be widespread. I'm glad that it wasn't. It looked like it was isolated to that county, but that's the most populated county uh, in the state, and we still don't know. And then Katie Hobbs is the lieutenant governor, which means that she's running the election. Like, she makes she, these decisions. Is yeah, that, cra- yeah, is that crazy? Yeah, actually, she's secretary of state. Secretary of state. And I got that Sorry. screwed up, too, last yeah. week's show because I told was one with uh, – Carrie Lake, and she's like, she's Secretary of State. I go, you okay with her running the election? She goes, no, I keep asking to get her recused from doing this. independent person. Yeah. Yeah. And she's not. So I'm not saying that she would do anything nefarious, but why tempt it? Totally. Uh, Absolutely. And then in Nevada, you have Adam Laxalt. He tweeted, of the 84,000 votes left account in Clark County, uh, which is Las Vegas, uh, Cortez Masto could win 63% of them, and she would still lose. They don't even take into account the gains uh, we will make from rural counties. So, you know, everybody's already done the what-if scenario, but it could be Nevada goes Republican, and then Arizona could go Democrat, and then we're down to Georgia once again. Can you believe two year, two election cycles in a row? This is not normal. It could go down to a runoff in Georgia. Well, a couple of things. I, I mean, I keep hearing about how many uncounted ballots, as I just mentioned. And Masters is at 46.4. Kelly's at 51.4. And one thing he did say, he says, I know it looks good for us right now, but we have to wait. He said that on Election Day. And I know why, because he knows a lot of other ballots are coming in. It's not his speed necessarily to declare victory. Some people are worried, 
officials are worried, I assume nonpartisan, that Laxalt's going to get tired of waiting and just said, I won, have his victory party before all the ballots are, ca- are counted. Yeah. Carrie Lake is basically, basically telling everybody uh, that she won already. Uh, she told Tucker that last night. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. I, okay. I mean, you're the candidate. Maybe you should. Yay, we won. But not like fully declare victory yet. Just wait. <laughs> right. Because she already has a reputation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about the other big story. Uh, Ron DeSantis. Here's a little of his speech that not only did the results show that he's a force. His speech was excellent. Cut 35. You know, over these past four years, we've seen major challenges for the people of our state for the citizens of the United States, and above all, for the cause of freedom. We saw freedom in our very way of life in so many other jurisdictions in this country wither on the vine. Florida held the line. And he was all, he was all pumped up. Now the question is, is Ron DeSantis the leader of the party? When it comes to Georgia, bring DeSantis and Kemp, not the president. The president, yeah. former president, took aim at Brian Kemp, he has a huge problem in Georgia. He took aim at the Secretary of State. He's being sued by the state. The president said he might delay his announcement, according to Jason uh, Jason Miller, his aide. He says, I'm recommending that President Trump delay it till after December 6th. Number one, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. The only thing missing, Trump is attacking DeSantis. He is not fired yeah. back. Where's this going, Carl? I know. Uh, well, that that's really the big question when you look at uh, 2024. What what is what's it going to look like? Um, and Trump is already uh, initially he made a comment saying calling Ron DeSantis Ron <laughs> to sanctimonious. He's going to continue with that. Not his best line. Um, and then he did you hear he was talking to a group of reporters and he said he's got a lot of he's got dirt on DeSantis and he knows more. Just as much it about him. It wouldn't be good for Ron to run. Just as much about him than his that his than his wife, and it wouldn't be good for him to run. That I mean, that sounds like a threat. It is. So uh, yeah. So Jason, yeah. So Jason Chaffetz was on uh, Fox News yesterday, and you know he was saying the Republicans that he's talking to, they love Trump. They love. They're grateful for what he did for the country, uh, and even like him personally. But they're just tired of the drama. And if you look at what happened in the midterms. If it appear, it seems like a lot of people feel that way when you look at the candidates that lost, a lot of the candidates that Trump backed. And also you look at not necessarily Republican support, but the independent vote, which is something that really can swing midterm elections. Usually the party out of power gets 20 percent, 15 to 20 percent of independents. Democrats won the independent vote this time around. Yeah, by a couple of points, which yeah. has to be disconcerting. They got to be worried about the Hispanic vote. The black vote ticked up for Republicans. But uh, should they be worried? Should they be happy about independence? Absolutely. I didn't know that. Uh, this is uh, off topic a little bit, but I didn't know that. Uh, I liked seeing Ron DeSantis's kids. You don't get to see them a lot. They're so cute. Yeah, I did and they're a, very young. I did a feature with him like three years ago. He had three little kids yeah. at the time. And, and they're now, still little, but right. a little bigger. But they haven't had kids in the governor's mansion in decades. So the, everything's breakable. It looks like one of those things. I mean, everything looks like glass and really? old antiques, <laughs> but they're all worried about it. But it's a real house. I mean, it's a real house. And he said to me, I will be going to all their games. So no matter what job I have, wow. I'll be going to all their games. <laughs> cool. So he, he liked that. He's that's a good one. dad. He also is a good athlete, as you know. Uh, so about DeSantis, is he the leader of the GOP? Glenn Youngkin was asked this, cut oh. 40. What we saw in Florida was the, the uh, result of great leadership from Ron DeSantis, and Floridians rewarded him. 
And we saw that all over the, the country with Republican governors who had done a great job leading out of the pandemic. And, and that's what Governor DeSantis did. I think this is all about results. And at the end of the day, voters want their elected leaders to deliver results. And they're a lot less inclined about making sure that they're either Republicans or Democrats when they're delivering for them. And that's exactly what uh, Ron DeSantis has done in Florida. So if Youngkin's yeah. thinking about running, he wouldn't have been so, I know he's thinking about running, but would he have been so gracious? Or could he say that, you know, play it a little yeah. bit coy? Because, for example, Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis don't get along. They don't address it, but they don't get along. So, Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis do not Right, Rick Scott. Even though Ron DeSantis replaced Rick Scott, I think that there's a sense that Rick Scott feels as though Ron DeSantis wasn't deferential enough Got to it. say, hey, I left you a pretty good situation here, pretty good systems, so they don't really talk. So, And I know Rick Scott's thinking about running, too. So do you think that Glenn Young can say, Ron DeSantis, superstar? Does that show you, Carly Shimkus, that maybe isn't? Uh, I think that he was being honest in that moment. I don't know if that would tie Glenn Youngkin to like any one position or the other. I could see Youngkin running. I could also see him waiting a little while because he's still p- pretty politically green. I mean, we're talking about like a bazillionaire. He's not green mm-hmm. in so many ways. But I don't know if he has – I, I feel it feels to me at this moment like maybe he has more to do in Virginia before he moves on. Uh, but when it comes to both of them, really, you think about the next presidential cycle. If they do wait, it's six years from now. So I don't know – I mean I don't know what Glenn Youngkin is going to do. I'm more interested in Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. to be honest. And you think about what – he might be calculating right now. And do I really want to go up against Trump? Could that actually hurt me in the end? But then if I wait, will my moment have already passed? Well, and one I think thing is pretty clear is you, if President Trump runs, you're voting for a lame duck because he can't run again. So it's beyond reproach. One of the things that Teddy Roosevelt said he really regretted was the minute he won election. So he gets he gets uh, the job. He's vice president. McKinley gets shot and dies six months in. Teddy Roosevelt finishes out, wins one election. And after that, he said, I'm done. And he said, people just literally moved on from him. Yeah. And he had to almost undo it. He couldn't undo it he, because they just turn you back, even though you have four years left. So that's why Joe Biden is never going to admit it. That's one of the reasons, I'm sure. And number two is Donald Trump, the minute he gets in, he's a lame duck. So if you are 44-year-old Ron DeSantis, you know it's not eight years. It's not an eight-year that's wait. That's true. It's a 40 And also, would there be, I mean, the way that Ron DeSantis is, uh, he, his personality is very it's trump without some of the drama so would there have been a ron DeSantis without president trump no. to lead the way and that's what trump said yesterday or the day before listen to this cut 31 ron is a person i've always had a decent relationship with him and as soon as i endorsed him within moments he the race was over i got him the nomination he didn't get it i got it he and was trailing in the primary. Sounds, yes, that's true. It's, and he, it's, he was trailing in the primary, and he almost lost to Gillum. Is that yep. what his, his name was? He's in a lot of trouble right now, apparently, or at least was. Carly, stay legally. right there. Oh. Unless you're going to leave. Okay. All right. There, uh, when we come, what's the matter? I don't know. You scared me. No, I was going to take a short time out. Oh, got it. We're going to a commercial break. Can we get her the format, Eric? Is it possible? <laughs> Do you have an extra copy? I mean, why am I throwing you? You're on every week. I mean, what is going on? Back in a well, moment. Well, it just seems so abrupt. <laughs> okay, I'll stay here. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade.
From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. What I can't do is I can't guarantee that um, we're going to be able to uh, get rid of inflation, but I do think we can. We've, brought, we've already brought down the price of gasoline about a $1.20 a gallon across the board, and I think that the, 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 uh, the oil companies are really doing the nation a real disservice. Again, blaming the oil companies. It drives me nuts, Carly Shimkus. Yeah, he did that again. That was during uh, his press conference yesterday. And it, this is a line that keeps on coming up. And he's so stuck on blaming other people for this the price of gas when he is the one. I mean, he just said a couple of days ago that he wants to no more drilling, no more coal industry. And then when he was running, he said that he was going to cut, kill fossil fuels entirely. And now he's wondering why the price of gas is so high. And he's blaming the companies that his policies are actually hurting. And I wonder if people are going to put that together. And I just think these oil companies got to get aggressive and be out there and have personality. They do. Because what is really you, happening is these oil and gas companies are making... You have Tim Stewart on too, right? Uh, uh, I, I've never had Tim Stewart on. He's on the oil and gas company. Right? Yeah, he's the one that releases all the statements. They're good right. statements after the fact. But yeah, he... I mean... Has he been on Fox and Friends before? Yeah, I don't want to brag. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, I, and he's been on this show, more importantly. Cool. Now, what's happening December 2nd for you, Carly? What did you go out and purchase? Oh, that's right. Okay, so I am going to be a part of Brian's book tour when it comes to Newark, New Jersey. I, and Brian has a great idea. Uh, it involves me being in a costume, and I just purchased it. So we talk about America Great from the Start. Co-produced, going to stream on Fox Nation. Did I tell you that? Too? I did not. You didn't yes. tell me that. Oh, this it's keeps gonna, on getting bigger and yeah, bigger. December 2nd is going to stream on Fox Nation, and I have a chance to run through all my books. But it's really about the whole thing, a patriotic night that's a lot of fun. And Carly has agreed to be in one of this new ideas I have, actually act out great moments in America's <laughs> past. And I'm not the only... Fox News person that's going to be there. Pete Hegseth will be there. And another person. Rachel Campos Duffy oh, will be there. Oh, can't wait. Thanks, Carly. Bye. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. Excited that covering Chris Christie is going to be with us. Not only does he know politics, he's got great instincts. He also knows the Republican Party. And a lot of people are wondering what happened to that wave. And Governor Christie on the record saying, hey, I think that Joe O'Day is so impressive. I think he's going to have a real shot at beating Michael Bennett. Didn't. A lot of things happened. Don Bolduc within one point in New Hampshire. That wasn't close. Uh, Tiffany Smiley lost by about 12, impressive as it goes, but no pro- no progress really making gains on Patty Murray. So all those places the, the, the polls said were tightening just weren't. Governor Whitmer being able to hold off Tudor Dixon handily, a bit of a surprise. But overall, Republicans, just note, note, you didn't get a wave, but you got a lot. And you're on the cusp of getting the House, and you have a legitimate chance, a better-than-average chance of getting the Senate. We'll discuss all that as we get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. You asked whether I thought this war would last so long. No, because I didn't start this war. But Ukrainian society united and showed that it was ready for these challenges. That is Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, Ukraine takes back a major city from Russia as the Red Army retreats. Is this the beginning of the end for Russia? The war? Is it time to talk? We'll discuss. Number two. And in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our magnificent, oh, it's so beautiful, White House. We're going to take it back. My intention is that I run again. This is ultimately a family decision. I think everybody wants me to run. Okay, uh, there you go. Uh, That is... Joe Biden, without a red wave, what does it mean for the Biden-Trump rematch? Is that what you want to see? Both men ready to go? Would you be upset if they both left? Number one. Before the midterms, the Democrats had the House. They don't have it today. And our majority is going to grow. They're going to lose the Senate by December the 6th. You're going to have a Republican majority in both houses. You lost. Uh, Lindsey Graham, power play on delay with the majorities in the House still too close to call and the Senate up in the air to uh, to call as well. Ballots yet to be tallied. We'll examine the races that remain and what it means for our nation while the GOP already forming its majority leadership team in the House inside the Republican drama. That's next. But first, let's bring in our Republican stalwart, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. Thanks so much. So let's talk about Texas. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, Governor Abbott does uh, win. Beto O'Rourke, they spent something like, I-, I couldn't believe this number, between Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, they spent $200 million, and he got trounced. What are they going to give up on this guy? Well, I think they have given up on him. And if you look at the aggregate of the three races that he has lost, uh, the Senate race here in Texas, his attempt to run for the presidency, and then the gubernatorial loss, we're talking about $264 million. And, you know, Governor Abbott did handle him very well, 54.8% to 43.9%. I'm still concerned that someone like O'Rourke could get 44% of the vote here in Texas. But, you know, I live in Dallas County. And let me tell you, Robert Francis O'Rourke got 63% of the vote in Dallas County. And I think that if you look at Houston, Harris County, Austin, Travis County, San Antonio, Bear County, you will see uh, that same type of number, maybe a little bit less. Even the George Soros back district attorney here in Dallas County got 59% of the vote. So th- that's very disconcerting when you think about the major urban population centers here in Texas, because uh, east and west Texas, the uh, rural areas, the, uh, you know, Amarillo and, and those type of areas, Midland, they can't continue to be the shoulders for Texas uh, for too long if we continue to see this population expansion and people moving here with uh, leftist ideas. And that's why when you compare it with uh, what has happened in Florida, where you've seen this incredible out-registering of Democrats uh, there in Florida, you know, first time ever, and we saw the results. Uh, Charlie Crisp is trounced by 20 points by Ron DeSantis. So, 
we still need to be concerned about the, the population shifts that we see in some of these uh, red states. Well, the thing is, you have destination points of Texas and Florida around the country. I think, number one, New York, New Yorkers relocated to Florida more than anybody else. Number two is New Jersey. Number three is California. And then Texas got some extraordinary numbers. So what do you do? You can't have a political test before people move here. No, you can't have a political, uh, political test, but, you know, I was born and raised in Georgia, and, uh, you know, Georgia is the largest landmass state east of the Mississippi River, 159 counties. But when you look at the electoral map, breaking it down by county in Georgia, you see very specific spots of blue. And that's the Atlanta metropolitan area, uh, Augusta, Savannah, Columbus, Macon, and that's the reason why a person like Raphael Warnock is uh, in this Senate race, or John Ossoff was able to win it. So I think what we have have to do is be very circumspect about the type of businesses and corporations that are coming into our very successful and strong red states, taking advantage of our economic opportunities, but they're bringing an employment base that really is, uh, they believe in all things antithetical to the conservative principles that make these red states strong. There are individuals that are moving away from these areas that you just mentioned, and, and they're sick and tired of the policies there, but when you bring it in these large corporations and what killed Georgia when they brought in the Hollywood movie production studios. That's a good point. Uh, that I never thought about that. The other thing is just urban centers. It looks like Herschel Walker, who grew up uh, poor in a working class area of Georgia, cannot win over the black vote because he decides to run as a Republican. How do you explain that? Somebody that probably lives with the same reality that Herschel lives in, as if he can't relate to the black community or that Colonel Allen West can't. How do you break through? Well, you know, that's why I wrote that book, We Can Overcome, uh, a Black Conservative Manifesto. You know, Herschel grew up in Riceville, Georgia. I grew up in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, the same neighborhood that gave us Dr. King. Uh, and I think that we have to start articulating those foundational principles and values. That's why the documentary Uncle Tom and also Uncle Tom Two is so important. Uh, because here in Texas, the Republican Party of Texas was founded by 150 black men back on Independence Day of 1867. And you have done a great job, you know, talking about the historical relationship between Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. So we've got to have those conversations and get the, the black community to understand who the real enemy of the community has always been. That's the Democrat community. But it was very encouraging to see that, I believe, 15 to 17 percent uh, black community vote and support to Republicans in this election cycle. It was at nine, so it's almost doubled. And we know the Hispanic vote going there, too. Uh, they're evidently single young women, not good, maybe because of the abortion issue. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, because they're going to look to go back to the abortion well again, sadly, uh, in 2024. So Republicans have to get a strategy there because it looks like 60 percent of the public was for Roe v. Wade. So it was not and that's not what the Supreme Court should be concerned with. I get it. But for the most part, Republicans have to have to uh, have find a way to counter that. So in the big picture in Texas, what else did you pull away from the after action report there? Well, I was very uh, unhappy with the results down in South Texas, the Rio Grande River. I really thought that all three of those incredible uh, Hispanic Latina 
uh, candidates would win. Uh, Myra Flores, Monica Dela Cruz, Hernandez, Cassie Garcia. Uh, we did get Monica Dela Cruz, Hernandez in there, but we just got to keep chipping away at it, uh, and hopefully we can, you know, flip those districts down there in uh, in South Texas. So I want you to hear with the. Uh, the the president said about what he's uh, what he learned from and uh, what he plans on doing different. Uh, and now that the election, uh, basically, he says that he will not do anything different. Here's a little of uh, what he thought of uh, the the lack of red wave cut to. While we don't know all the results yet, at least I don't know them all yet. Uh, here's what we do know: while the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And I know you were somewhat miffed by my, uh, my uh, obsessive optimism, but uh, I felt good during the whole process. I thought we were going to do fine. So it didn't happen. He's right about that. They could lose the House and Senate. He's correct about that. Why don't you think it happened nationally? I think it's going to be, you know, I came into Congress in 2010, and that was a 63-seat switch, uh, flip. And that was Barack Obama's first midterm. Of course, we remember 1994, Bill Clinton with 54. The redistricting process, I think, has made that even harder uh, to achieve. Uh, And, again, I think that it's funny to hear Joe Biden say that, you know, I really wasn't concerned about it. Well, why was he going out and making all of those, you know, very strenuous attacks against mega MAGA Republicans and, and all of this, you know, very divisive speech that he was doing. And now he talks about he wants to unite people. He still has the uh, opportunity of losing the House and maybe even losing the Senate. So it's kind of like in a football game. If it comes down to a last-second field goal, you know, and you, you lose by one point, you still, you still lose. So uh, it's, it, he feels vindicated in that it wasn't this massive wave, but people still don't want his economic policy. So if he continues down this path, uh, and with the border especially, uh, things are going to get worse. Can you imagine two years from now running us to, to, to be reelected as president of the United States of America and 400,000 Americans have been killed because of fentanyl uh, on your watch? I mean, that's not something that you want to have on on your plate, but yet that's something that could happen. So I think the Republicans have to do a much better job with strategic messaging, Brian. How do you feel the role of the former president was? A lot of people are saying that he pushed the wrong candidates, uh, that he, uh, Dr. Oz, Doug Mastriano, Doug Mastriano was terrible. I'm a big Dr. Oz fan. I thought he was fine. Uh, But going for him, evidently behind the closed doors, he said he would prefer, should have went with Dave McCormick. Um, you know, you saw Blake Masters is continuing. He's not yeah. leading yet, although talented. Uh, Governor Ducey probably would have been uh, much more popular and an easier victory. How do you feel about uh, Donald Trump? Well, look, if you're going to go out there and pick people, you also have a responsibility to train them up and better prepare them and to also resource and support them. Uh, And so I think that those are some of the things that may have been lacking. And, uh, you know, the folks in Pennsylvania, I got a lot of friends there, uh, and they said they just didn't connect with Dr. Oz. I hate to say it, but they felt he was a little bit of a carpetbagger. So you got to be careful about that. And that's why I think it's so important that we focus on local-level elections. We focus on city council, school board, county commission, state house, state senate races, so that we can build up a farm team and we don't, you know, bring in these individuals.
individuals that really don't have that deep-seated connection uh, to, to the people there. And they've got some political uh, acumen and, and experience about them. So there's only one person that could get me and a cause like this to, on my anniversary to be working, and it will be December 3rd, Operation New Uniform Gala. You're the, you're the featured speaker, and I'm going to be the MC in Ponte Vedra, Long Island. Excuse me, Ponte Vedra, Florida. What could, what could you tell everybody about this? Man, I am so ha- you know just thrilled to be able to see you because you and I go all the way back uh, to when I was in Afghanistan, and and I consider you a great and dear friend. We have got to do better with our men and women in uniform. And Brian, I got to tell you, when you think about tomorrow as Veterans Day, we should not home- have homeless and jobless veterans in the United States of America when we are giving you know taxpayer-funded benefits to people that are here illegally, and we want to allow them to vote. So it's going to be a great Great night down there in Ponte Vedra, uh, outside Jacksonville. And uh, tell the folks down there to get ready for a big show because uh, Kelmead and West are coming. Yeah, I don't know if it's sold out yet, but Operation New Uniform of Ponte Vedra, go check it out. Uh, it's going to be great, and I, I, I look forward to buying you a beer. And I've even got so to celebrate our anniversary, uh, my wife's going to be coming, so you'll get a chance to meet her, who's a lot nicer than me. And so, you know, I'm a cheap date, so I don't drink, so you just give me a glass of lemonade. All right, you got it. That's the the best. All right, thanks so much, uh, Colonel Allen West. I appreciate it. See you soon. All right, 1-866-408-7669. Next, I'm going to get some calls. Then we welcome in New Jersey's own Governor Chris Christie, also a member of the Mets board, and the Mets got to be signing Jacob DeGrom. Yes, why is Chris Christie doing our show when he should be signing 34-year-old stud pitcher Jacob DeGrom? We'll talk about that and so much more. So glad you're here. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to have our elections next week. I'm supporting Kevin McCarthy for speaker, and he'll win that race. And ultimately, you've seen us pull together these last few months and focus on the attack against big government socialism. People in very different places of America said they don't want big government socialism, and they're going to give us the house to be that check and balance. And we're going to go to work for those hardworking families. And that is Steve Scalise saying, I'm not making a run as speaker. It's going to be Kevin McCarthy. We'll see. Uh, I think it would be a good move. Give McCarthy a shot. I think he earned it. Uh, well, let's see. wait for the Republicans to lock it up first. Chris, listen to WABC and Catskills. Hey, Chris, New York. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? I, uh, I'm a policy wonk Democrat, and I was elected. I was an elected official five to nine years ago, and I, I actually flipped the purple-red-leaning district to blue by, by getting a lot of Republicans and conservatives to vote for me. And, and I've listened to you for years. I don't agree with some of the talking points I've heard, and I'm well-versed enough in politics to hear when, when you present information that, that's factually incorrect, but I appreciate your skills as a broadcaster. Well, I'm, so, I'm sure to- you're my ultimate fact check. I live up to your standard, <laughs> well, no, Chris, and the cat skills. Thank but, you very much. But, and I don't have talking points. They're my points. But what's on your mind? What do you think about Zeldin, how he did the ups, in upstate New York? 
Yeah, no, specifically it was after the Pat Ryan election. There was some stuff. You, you said that he and Molinaro were going to have a rematch, and that was, that that's all. But, all right, I, I'll, I'll move on. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Just, just make your point. No, the, I, the, red, the red wave didn't happen for a few reasons. And, and I, like, a, the seats that are going to end up being lost when the dust is settled are going to be basically all in New York State, in Long Island, in the Hudson Valley upstate. And these elections were all very close. Like, Mark Molinaro won by around 2%. And Democrat Pat Ryan won by only 2,100 votes. Um, no way. You know, in actuality, in no. actuality, Trump's not that popular in New York State like he is in places like Arizona. And the socialist working families wing of, of the left and Trump's behavior on the right, it turns off common sense voters. I know, but Zeldin brought, I, Zeldin brought a lot to the table with 47% of the vote. I think he got an extra 400,000 voters compared to 2018's uh, candidate. That certainly helped. Nathan in Arizona. Nathan. Hi. Hi, uh, hi, Brian. Good to speak with you. Uh, I'm actually from Arizona, and your previous caller is actually wrong. Trump is not as strong here as he was four years ago. And when you even look at Apache County, Apache County was a complete right-wing uh, stalwart for him, and now it's it's turned uh, red. So, or excuse me, blue. And when you look at our state, um, the people that when became Republicans. Or, or excuse me, Democrats were Republicans. They were moderates. And I think the Republicans are lacking a vision. They're lacking a true vision. And if they can define themselves and their policies, not so right. Hey, Nathan, I don't think you're wrong. But wouldn't you think the first thing I do in Arizona is seal the border? I mean, basic law and order, seal the border. And I'm wondering how many people converted parties and how many people just moved into Arizona. I wouldn't know. But I'm just I know so many people who left California for Arizona. And I'm not sure they left their politics behind. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's what's happening uh, to people that traditionally are not identified with the Republican Party, particularly working class and small business owning Hispanics. Hispanic families who have common sense, uh, who don't want schools indoctrinating their kids, who perhaps have either firsthand or family experience with socialism and leftism and don't want any part of it in this country, and, and who frankly, you know, want to live in a, in a society that's governed by leaders with common sense. You're not going to convince them that we should care more about allowing illegal immigrants in, the U.N. climate conference that they're having this week, criminals running through the streets. You put those things ahead of them and their interests are going to punish you at the ballot box. That's what they did to Democrats here in Florida. That's what I wish we'd be seeing in other parts of the country. Unfortunately, there's uh, multiple reasons why that's not happening. And we'll get into that now. That is Senator Marco Rubio, a substantial win against a quality opponent in Val Demings. They had a lot of money. She was outspent considerably. Uh, she's got the law enforcement background, tried to pretend she wasn't for defunding the police, although we know she was. And along with Governor DeSantis, did extremely well in Florida, which is traditionally oftentimes decided elections, but it seems to have switched. i got to get Governor Chris Christie's take on all this. He's been doing a lot of analysis for ABC. Uh, Chris, uh, Governor, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Brian. How are you? Good. good. The last part of his sentence I wanted you to uh, pick up on. Why didn't it happen for other states in the union, especially with the Hispanic vote, although inroads were made? No, look, it's about candidates, right? I mean, in, in the end, it's about the candidates you pick and how they how well they can communicate and how credible they are with the constituencies they're looking to represent. So, you know, for Senator Rubio, um, he's been in Florida for a long time. 
and he's been representing people both in the state legislature and the United States Senate for a long time. They had no doubt about Marco's sincerity uh, on these issues and, and his ability to be able to represent them. And the very same can be said about Governor DeSantis. And I think that's why they did as well as they did. But in other places where the candidates were selected uh, predominantly by uh, former President Trump, um, you know, these were not great candidates and they were not the right candidates, whether it was Dr. Oz in, in, in Pennsylvania. Um, we can go through a whole list of them. Uh, Mastriano in Pennsylvania for governor, an awful choice. Um, and, and quite frankly, cost us the election there because he ran so poorly at the top of the ticket. Um, and, and look at Arizona. In Arizona, we may still wind up winning the governorship in Arizona, and I hope we do. But let's put this in, con- in context, Brian. In 2014, Doug Ducey won the governorship in Arizona by 12 points. In 2018, he was reelected by 15 points. When we have the right candidates running in these races in a state like Arizona, we win handily. The fact that we're struggling to try to bring this over the finish line two days after the election by by a you know a, a centimeter, and that we probably are going to lose the Senate seat there, um, again goes to the quality of the candidates that were selected, um, and the fact that a lot of these selections are making us an ineffective general election party, and that's what you really saw happening on Tuesday night, and you know that that's something that we better get our arms around really quickly. Or we're going to wind up losing in 2024. A couple of things. Number one, from what you know about Arizona, do you believe there's enough concern, enough Republican votes out there for Masters and Carrie Lake? Look, there's the, 650,000. The they say are still out there uncounted. Yeah. Look, I think that there is. That's why I was cautious about the fact that we may wind up winning both of those yep. or one of them. I think it's likely that we're I think it's more likely because of the margins we're dealing with that Carrie Lake wins than it is that Blake Masters wins. But both of them could win. There's no doubt that they both could win. But the bigger question, Brian, is why is it so close in a state like Arizona with a president, 40 percent job approval, with eight percent inflation, with four dollar gas, with crime rising everywhere? With fentanyl pouring over a border state like Arizona, why is it close? It should not even be close. And by the way, without any of those things available to us in 14 and 18, Doug Ducey won by 12 and 15 points, respectively, for governor. So, you know, what are we talking about here? It, it is, a, um, it, it is a, a, the choice of candidates um, and the way they've approached these things that have hurt us and, and, and hurts us in general elections in swing states. Let's remember something. With the exception of Ron Johnson, who has a long history in Wisconsin, so people know him well, we didn't win anything else in Wisconsin. We didn't win anything in Michigan. We didn't win anything in Pennsylvania. John, John James won in Michigan, but that was a new, right, that was a new seat. Yeah, That was a new seat, though. It was a new seat that was drawn for Republicans. And, and, and John James had nothing to do with anybody else 
putting hands on him and selecting him. John James has run statewide twice in Michigan, as you know, yeah. and came close twice. So people know John. It, it, this is the problem. Like, you know, Brian, if we can't win in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, we can't win the presidency. Absolutely. It's electorally impossible for us to win the presidency. So we've got to start thinking about whether, you know, I've heard all the conversation as of you over time that Donald Trump used to give to us, which was, you know, you're going to do so much winning that you're going to ask me to stop winning because we're doing so much winning. You're tired of it. Well, we lost the House and Senate in 18. We lost the presidency in 20. We lost two seats in the in the United States Senate from Georgia in 21. And now in 22, we wildly underperformed historic norms. Seems to me we should be tired of losing. And I know I am. Right. I know in 2018, no one talks about they did add Senate seats and they did lose the House, no doubt about it. Um, and then in 2020, uh, the pandemic, I think, played a major role that people judge the president on on how he handled the pandemic. But the way the press had lined up against it would have been you if you were there, but nothing like I've ever seen against Trump. I was amazed he even had four in 10 that thought he was doing a good job the way they lined up against him. And they never, ever admitted that he won until 2020. They never admitted that he won in 2016. And when you were on the inside, that that had to play a role in the mindset of the man that you know quite well. Never accepting legitimacy actually put him over the top and made him do some of these extreme things, in, in, my, in my opinion. Well, look, let's, let's face it. It is not the, – the Democrats' approach to the 2016 election was grossly unfair, and, and we all can agree upon that. They were so stunned that they had lost to Donald Trump that they didn't accept it. That's wrong, um, and it should never be condoned. But here's the thing. You look at how others got treated – during the pandemic, other Republicans, you know, and how they fared electorally thereafter. Um, you know, look at what happened with Brian Kemp, who was probably the most aggressive governor in America in terms of the way he handled the pandemic. And he just got reelected despite being outspent by Stacey Abrams two and a half to one in Georgia. He, he wound up uh, winning by eight points on Tuesday night. Why? Because they believe that Brian Kemp right. is a smart, effective governor. And by the way, he certified the election in 2020. And as a result, had to survive a primary challenge by a candidate put forward by Donald Trump. And, and, and Brian survived that, beat David Perdue by 50 points, and then won the general election. You know, those are the kind of things we should be looking at. Florida are the kind of things we should be looking at in terms of candidates who are who they are and tell the truth and had success. And, you know, Kemp is in that group. DeSantis is in that group. Rubio's in that group. So, uh, and by the way, uh, Governor Chris Christie, our guest, I'm sure everybody knows that. Uh, Governor, do, do you think, I even heard Jason Miller recommending to the former president that he does not declare on Monday that he's running again for Herschel Walker's sake. Do you believe that, number one, is that a good move to wait? Number two, do you think he will? Well, it depends on what your motivation is, right? If you want to see every Republican in America focused on getting Herschel Walker over the goal line and into the United States Senate and giving us control of the United States Senate, then every resource, every minute of time politically 
should be spent on nothing else but Herschel Walker over the course of the next four weeks. So I think Jason Miller is absolutely right in his advice. I have no idea what Donald Trump will do um, because this is one of those key moments, right? Are we going to be the party of me or the party of us? And if we're going to be the party of me, then Donald Trump will announce and make it all about him and distract, as he did in 2021, from Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, and I think responsible in large measure for those losses. If we want to be the party of us, if we want to get elected again by people like the people of Georgia and being given control, as we should, of the House and Senate in Washington, then everybody should be focused on Herschel Walker. I know that's what I'm going to be focused on, and I hope everybody else from Donald Trump uh, and all around are focused on getting Herschel elected on December 6th. Um, I've speculated, and I think everyone thinks he had, Kemp was never asked. He said never asked to help out Walker or campaign together. I think that'll change immediately, and DeSantis as well. And we'll see what President Trump, former President Trump, says. But this is an idea of who President Trump feels is will be his main competition. Cut 33. We have the best poll numbers. Where are they? Are they putting them up on the screen? We're winning big, big, big in the Republican Party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before. Let's see. There it is. Trump at 71. Ron DeSanctimonious at 10 percent. So and then he said Mike Pence got about 7 percent. Do you think that he's lining up uh, Ron DeSantis like he did Jeb Bush and will it be effective? Well, look, I think I think that Donald Trump will just do whatever he thinks he needs to do to serve whatever he thinks his interests are at the moment. Um, I can't imagine why in the days before a, a competitive election uh, you would want to criticize the Republican nominee. But he did the same thing with Joe O'Day in Colorado. Um, he did the same thing with Ron DeSantis. Look, you know, we should we're either going to be the party of me or the party of us, Brian. That's another example. Do I think it will be effective? It, 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 one, we don't know if, if Governor DeSantis is going to run. Um, but if he does, it's going to be up to Governor DeSantis right. and how he interacts and responds, right? I mean, that's what really matters. We know what will be coming from Donald Trump. Um, we don't know and have not seen Ron DeSantis under those type of competitive circumstances. Let's face it. He's run against Andrew Gillum, who we can't say was the greatest candidate in the world. And now Charlie Crist, who's been a Republican and independent and a Democrat. Um, so, you know, we're going to see as the competition gets better um, how the governor responds if he decides to engage. Mm-hmm. But we have no doubt what Donald Trump, he's made clear what his intention is. A guy like Ron DeSantis, who I think Donald Trump can claim to have made. I mean, Ron DeSantis, I remember that, was way behind Adam Putnam in 2018 in the Republican primary polls for governor until Donald Trump endorsed him. So a guy that Donald Trump endorsed and has trumpeted now all of a sudden is getting made fun of. Do we think it's because Ron DeSantis has changed or is it because Donald Trump feels now threatened by Ron DeSantis? So, Governor, I know you make that judgment. I know you know what it takes to run for president. Do you feel like the time is right or possibly the landscape now that you can look at 2024 for you? Well, I'm certainly thinking about it, Brian. Um, I, I think we need to have people who know how to win general elections in blue states again. Um, and, you know, I've certainly proven that over the course of my, my career winning two terms in a state like New Jersey. The last time was 61% of the vote. 
when, you know, no one wins in blue states like that from the Republican Party. We need to start winning in places like that again, because if we don't, um, we're not going to win the presidency. So I'm certainly looking at it. I'll, I'll make a decision sometime in 2023 about whether I will or I won't. But I'm not going to worry about that right now, because right now we've got still a race that we need to win in Georgia. And I was down there last Thursday and Friday um, riding the bus with Governor Kemp and campaigning with him. He did a spectacular job. And I hope that Herschel Walker is on the phone with Brian Kemp today, you know, saying, please, Governor, any time you can spare over the next four weeks, I need you and your organization to help get me in the United States Senate. Um, because Brian Kemp showed how effective he is with the people of Georgia and how effective his organization is as a campaign group. And I tell you, the thing that's so aggravating and and um, and I think insulting is that they keep going after Herschel Walker's intellect. And the guy's smart. He's savvy. He's a business person, great people person. There's nothing wrong with him uh, as a uh, – there's nothing – don't criticize – his intelligence. Criticize anything you want. But I thought we were past that as a country, didn't you? I did. And, and look, people are free to disagree with any position that any candidate takes. But this personal insulting of Herschel Walker um, insults, by the way, the 1.9 million people in Georgia who voted for him. And I don't think you want to be in that position either. Um, you know, <laughs> Raphael Warnock's up, the last time I saw by about 13,000 votes out of 3.9 million. So this is not like, you know, it's just not yeah. like it's not close and contested. And Herschel Walker deserves the respect of go, having gone through just a very tough general election. And I can tell you this, you know, I, I would feel much better um, if we were controlling the United States Senate than Chuck Schumer. Uh, and right. I want to do everything I can to make sure that we help Herschel Walker get over the goal line. And thanks for helping my show again, uh, Governor Chris Christie. Always insightful and interesting. Thanks so much. Brian, always great to be on. Look forward to talking to you as we get closer to December 6th and we see what's going to happen in this last election. Absolutely. And you're playing a role. Uh, this is Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your calls in just a moment. Thanks so much for listening. one 408 The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. What he did in the in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, as you were saying, ran ahead of Trump. I mean, it just makes it makes you wonder about his future. They're talking about John Fetterman and she goes on to think that he's a legitimate presidential candidate. John Fetterman the least qualified person, even without a stroke I've ever seen. Lazy, unaccomplished. Uh, not a good speaker. Then he has a stroke, even worse speaker. Hello, everybody, and good night. That's who you want to be president? I can't believe he won. I, I really can't. I mean, obviously, a lot of the votes happened before that debate. And maybe they people don't like Dr. Oz, although uh, a leading heart surgeon that's the best 
It's a great talk show host who likes people. Uh, I guess didn't resonate. Obviously, he lost by about three points and conceded. So quick thing, if you're in Tulsa, I'm coming in Sunday. I'll be there. KRMG listeners, I'll be there in person. There are a few tickets left, so I want to see you there. And if you can do it, the VIP area, I get a chance to talk to you ahead of time. My first stop is going to be Brandon, Mississippi. What am I going to be doing? Talking about the president of freedom fighter to the close, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass. And the Battle to Save America's Soul, but also George Washington's Secret Six, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and everything else. Looking back at American history, having a great patriotic day. Uh, most importantly, be able to take get your take on the midterms and so much more. And don't forget, Saturday night, One Nation, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, final hour of this broadcast on this Thursday edition as we uh, get set to go into the weekend without knowing who's in control of the House or the Senate. Uh, Derek Van Orden standing by. I know one thing. America's a safer place and a better place because he won his congressional seat. We'll have talk to him in a matter of moments. And then uh, Batia Ungar Sargon from Newsweek. She's going to be providing her insight. And then Mayor Glenn Jacobs, the former professional wrestler, uh, won, uh, won uh, Knox County over in Tennessee. So he's going to be talking to us about that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You asked whether I thought this war would last so long. No, because I didn't start this war. But Ukrainian society united and showed that it was ready for these challenges. Ukraine takes back a major city uh, for from Russia as the Red Army retreats. Is this the beginning of the end for Russia? Is it the beginning of the end for the war? Is it time to talk? Number two. And in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our magnificent, oh, it's so beautiful, White House. We're going to take it back. My intention is that I run again. This is ultimately a family decision. I think everybody wants me to run. Without a red wave, what does it mean for the Biden-Trump rematch? Is that what you want to see? Both men ready to go. Would you be upset if they both decided to leave instead? Number one. Before the midterms, the Democrats had the House. They don't have it today, and our uh, majority is going to grow. They're going to lose the Senate by December the 6th. You're going to have a Republican majority in both houses. You lost. Uh, That is Senator Lindsey Graham. He thought there was going to be a wave, no doubt about it. Now he wants to just get Herschel over the finish line and take the majority. Power play on delay with the majorities in both House and Senate up up for grabs. What about the drama behind the scenes to see who the next Speaker of the House is? Who would Derek Van Orden vote for? After all, he won Wisconsin's 3rd District. The Navy SEAL uh, is now representing the Republican Party and Wisconsin's 3rd District in the House. He's not there yet, so he's congressman-elect. Derek, how does it feel? Um, Honestly, uh, it feels pretty darn good, Brian. I mean, we worked really, really hard. Me and my staff, we put over 180,000 miles on our vehicles, getting around, talking to everybody. And I think it's critically important in this juncture in our country's history that folks, and you know this because you're a historian, that people understand that there are folks in Washington, D.C. that have walked in their same shoes. I'm a retired Navy SEAL enlisted guy. I'm a tradesman. I've worked for everything I've ever gotten. I dropped out of high school at 16. I got a GED in the Navy. When I turned 18, I got a college degree at 44 and went to law school at 50. 
And everything, everything is possible in this country. And I want everyone to understand that. And it's time for a change. That's why I got elected. People understand that. And there are folks, again, in D.C. that understand what it's like to struggle and live paycheck to paycheck. And we want to change. And that's what's coming to the House. You almost won last time, right? I mean, you got within three points yeah. last time. So you went back and did it again. And this time uh, you win convincingly and you flip that seat. Do you believe, Derek, you're going to walk into the majority uh, in the majority? Because right now we you can't firmly say who's in control of the House. I have real confidence that we're going to. I do. I, the, the American people really want to change. And, you know, unfortunately, the expectations were set so high. Everyone thought that uh, Ronald Reagan was, was going to come out of the cryogenic machine and, you know, pop his head out again. And that's just not the case. So expectations were set too high. But we got we have to understand that Republicans across the nation garnered more than a million votes than the, the Democrats. So we did incredibly well. In the midterms, it's just that the expectations were so high that it doesn't seem like that. But we did really, really well across the nation. People want to change, Brian, and we're going to bring it to them. We're going to bring a real serious, hardcore, enlisted Navy SEAL work ethic to Congress and get stuff done. We're not afraid. So I want you to hear what what President Biden said about what – I know you're about to go on Neil Cavuto, too, so I'll be quick. Here's here's President Biden on what he learned from the midterms. Go 29. What in the next two years do you intend to do differently uh, to change people's uh, opinion of the direction of the country, particularly as you contemplate a run for president in 2024? Nothing, because they're just finding out what we're doing. The more they know about what we're doing, the more support there is. Do you know anybody who wants us to walk away from building those roads and bridges and, and the Internet and so on? The problem is the major piece of legislation we passed, and some of it bipartisan, takes time to be recognized. So do you think that it's just a matter of time? We just have to to appreciate his programs more? I think that the Biden administration believes the book 1984 by George Orwell is an instruction manual. They don't understand (laughs) that it's a cautionary tale. And all this stuff they've been saying is just garbage. So this person and his administration are responsible for tanking the greatest country in the world. People can't afford to fill up their gas tank and a grocery cart, Brian, on the same day in America. We are worried about the future of our children because the border is open. Over 125,000 Americans have died of fentanyl overdoses. That's 300 Americans every day are dying of fentanyl overdose. That's like a, a jumbo jet crash in every single day. And it's because the, the border's open. 90% of that junk comes across the, the southern border. The Biden administration knows that. They refuse to close the border. And, and why it, is it like, that he never brings up fentanyl? Why, why is this president, when President Trump was a candidate, he would walk yeah. around to the, and he'd say, what's going on with fentanyl? He had no idea. He went to New Hampshire. He went to Vermont. He went to these places, and he said, you know, this is what's going on. And then he realized it's a problem, and he addressed it. Not didn't solve right. it, but it was at least it was on the wane. What, why is that, was that not a bigger issue? Well, Brian, because he'd have to do something. He would have to close the border. I went down to the southern border with Tony Gonzalez, who's a Republican future colleague um, from Texas, and talked to the sheriffs on the border about fentanyl. And it's real. And they just said one of them, it was terribly interesting. One guy was a full-on Democrat, voted for Biden, very proud to say that. The other guy you know, had a MAGA sticker on his cowboy hat. And both of them said it just wasn't like this under President Trump. It was not. So 
the reason that I believe the Biden administration doesn't address the fentanyl problem is because that means they have to address the border problem. And they're unwilling to do that. Why? Um, why what, what is the bigger picture on why they would like to do something? <clears throat> they, they're allowing this to happen and allowing themselves to either be vulnerable politically. Four million here illegally. 800,000 minimum gotaways. Why, Derek Van Orden, would they allow this? Well, if you look at things in totality, Brian, um, and you objectively see what's taking place and what they've been doing, everybody understands that when you put too much cash into a system and you don't have enough goods, it creates scarcity, which causes inflation. They did that over and over again. The border is open. The abandonment of our troops uh, in Afghanistan, which is shameful. Um, you really have to look at, you know, is, is this um, is this an intentional way to destabilize a a society and a culture so that you can fundamentally change the governmental system without using the system as designed. If people want to change the Constitution of the United States of America, the amendment process is written into the document. It's just really hard work. So um, I just I would hope and pray that there are enough people out there that can reflect on really what America is, that it, we are truly the the shining city on a hill. And when you continuously lower people's expectations, right. then they they don't understand there's a better way. And being raised in, man, I was raised in abject rural poverty. But my mom worked so hard, and she always showed us there's a better way. And America is the place where you can get what you want to do simply because of this country. It's fantastic. So we can do that collectively. I want everyone to understand that there is a better way. And, and I've lived on right. five of the seven continents, Brian, and this is the only country where this can take place, and it's in jeopardy if we don't get off our couches. I, prob- I probably should have booked hard. you tomorrow, uh, but I want to get you on right away after you seal the victory. But tomorrow is Veterans Day. We know recruiting yeah. is off in every branch except the Marines. And just real quick, yeah. in 30 seconds, what, what should we all know about Veterans Day tomorrow from a Navy SEAL? Over one million Americans have died for this country, for our freedoms. And I've had uh, over 50 of my friends killed in combat and training since 9-11. And their sacrifices must not have gone in vain. I've gone to their funerals. I looked at their widows. I cried with their kids. And I'm very proud to say that. I'm not ashamed. And we need to look at our folks and understand that America is worth the sacrifice. It simply is. The recruiting goals are horrible because the United States military has become politicized and they are so far off mission that they need a true course correction. And I tell you what, pal, the United States Navy SEAL teams, I firmly believe made me the person I am today. Right. In the Department of Defense, I owe them everything, but they're broken. And uh, it's time to shake the tree, pal. You got to do it, Derek. Derek Van Orden, now congressman-elect. I know now you have the power to do it, and they got to listen to you, and they got to take your questions in committee. I'm so excited for you. You earned it as usual. Derek Van Orden, great job. Have a a wonderful day. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, and watch him with Fox Business, Neil Cavuto, in a matter of moments. Next, we we go to Newsweek's own uh, deputy opinion editor, Batia Unger at Sargon. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. While we don't know all the results yet, at least I don't know them all yet, uh, here's what we do know. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And I know you were somewhat miffed by my my, uh, obsessive optimism, but uh, I felt good during the whole process. I thought we were going to do fine. So, uh, that's the President of the United States saying didn't surprise him there was no red wave, and he's gratified by it, even though he could lose both chambers still. Batia Unger Sargon is here, Deputy Opinion Editor of Newsweek. So you watched the press conference yesterday. We're probably not going to get another one for six months, so we have, we have to make the most of it. Um, right now, you say the for, you write that the formula has been, uh, has been shown to anyone who wants to look, and that's Governor Ron DeSantis. What is the formula? that he revealed that might work beyond Florida. Right. So to me, you know, the midterms were very bad for Trump. They were okay for the Democrats, but they were really good for what people call the realignment to refer to working and middle-class Americans across party lines coming together to represent the average middle American against the elites on both sides. And I think that that was really the message here. This was an anti-polarization election. Voters voted for people who they could picture pitching themselves to members of the other party and convincing them. They're sick of people who can only appeal to one side. And that's what Ron DeSantis did. He got so many people who I believe are not new Republicans, but are people who are still Democrats. I mean, I think that's what people are missing about Florida. He got a lot of Hispanic voters, but I don't think those people are necessarily going to stay Republican for every candidate. They liked him because they felt that he was speaking for them. Interesting. Uh, Even though he comes off as polar's my way or the highway, his way is not Republican. His way, he thinks, is the right way. For example, opening up schools is not for Republican kids. Uh, Going ahead and taking on Disney is not for Republican kids. When they decide that your kids should not do drag shows or learn about their gender in second and third grade. So you're saying that he just is strong. He's not necessarily a right wing. I think that he's strong because he makes the forgotten corners of American society, parents, working class Americans, working class Hispanics feel seen and heard. And that is not necessarily – I mean right now you are seeing a lot of that happening on the populist right. But are they backing that up with actual legislation? I think when he took on the Martha's Vineyard, when he took on immigration, when he signaled that he was willing to be the face of a combative fight over immigration, that is something that's very important to working class Americans. It's something that's very important to working class Hispanics, which is something that Democrats really don't want to see. So the question is why DeSantis, but not where was the rest of that success? And I think where you saw Republican success um, in Florida or in New York, it was people hewing to that model. So, for example, um, you know, in Rockland County, um, a flip district, right, went Republican. Uh, this guy, Mike Lawler, right? And when you ask him what did he do right, how did he manage that, he talked to a lot of Democrats. And you know what? To back up your point, the Long Island and Westchester County and upstate New York Republicans could be solely, re- almost solely responsible for delivering the House to Kevin McCarthy's Republican Party because they flip seats and you cannot get elected in New York if you are Ted Cruz. It's just not going to work. And if you think about Zeldin's message, to back up your point, he's saying, I want to work with Eric Adams. 
I want to, you know what, leave abortion alone. I'm not going to touch it. I'm pro-life, but it doesn't matter. That that really got him close. Well, we're in a state that outnumber has Democrats three to one on Republicans. Yeah, 100 percent. I think in the run up to the election, what you really saw was, you know, it used to be that the Democrats represented the working class and the Republicans were more the side of, you know, business, the side of the rich. We've really seen a shift there. Trump showed up and said, no, we're going to be the party of the working class. And the Democrats increasingly, because they've lost the working class, they don't really talk about kitchen table issues anymore. They talk about culture war battles, abortion, quote unquote, saving democracy, Trumpism, right? They look at that through a cultural lens, which has left the kitchen table available. But I think what failed here was Republicans failed to pitch themselves as we are going to start really thinking of ourselves as the party of the working class from a policy point of view. And so besides DeSantis, Glenn Youngkin two years ago, one year ago, uh, won on education, but he's an approachable personality. So do you believe that the message has to be honed depending on the state you're in? I think the question of education, you know, Democrats are fighting that like it's a cultural battle, but it's not. It's economic battle. It's working class parents and middle class parents whose children go to public schools. Glenn Youngkin understood that. He showed up and said, I'm giving you back autonomy. I'm giving you back control. You have been erased. I'm putting you back on the table. Your sense on Roe v. Wade, because we know that four states chose, it was on the ballot, to uh, put in their state constitution abortion rights to a degree. California, Vermont, Kentucky, and Michigan. And then this was a number two issue across the board on exit polls. What do you think? So it's exactly the same point. If you look at those ballot measures, they outperformed the Democrats on those ballots by double digits, meaning that Republicans and independents who don't see themselves as Democrats voted to make sure to protect abortion rights. A lot of Americans are pro-life but anti-bans. Just like a lot of Americans are pro-vaccine but anti-mandate. Americans don't like people telling them what to do with their bodies. Right. And if you think from what you just said, if Republicans message it, I want states to make their choice as opposed to um, banning. Not that anyone outright said that and Lindsey Graham came in and tried to fix it. But that would work. I'm not sure. I mean, I think Americans see this as a very personal thing. And, you know, they could, you know, a lot of, for example, um, voters of color, you know, there are people who they themselves think abortion is wrong. They're very religious, but they just don't want to see it banned. Understood. And so far, we'll see how that's messaged, because I watched uh, some uh, some uh, Democratic officials say we're going back to abortion as a major issue in 2024. Uh, thanks so much, Abatia. Great to see you again. Pick Another reason to pick up Newsweek. When we come back, one of the most unique politicians you'll ever meet. He's seven foot and is in the WWE Hall of Fame, and he runs things in Tennessee. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Before the midterms, the Democrats had the House. They don't have it today. 
and our uh, majority is going to grow, and they're, they're going to lose the Senate by December the 6th. So what is that? Is that a good day for Republicans? If you, lost, if you had both houses as Democrats by December, you're going to have a Republican majority in both houses. You lost. And here's what I think. Warnock doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell if we'll get behind Herschel Walker. If you're an incumbent and you come up short the first time, you're not going to win the second time uh, if, the, uh, if the opponent has a chance to get their message out. Leffler and Purdue fell short. Both of them lost. Warnock's going to lose. So that is uh, Senator Lindsey Graham shocked. He was predicting a red wave. He thought very confident about Blake Masters. He's not out of it yet. Thought Bullduck had a real shot. He wasn't close. Uh, Tiffany Smiley thought he had a shot. He didn't. Uh, she didn't, but she's a fine candidate. So Herschel Walker's now in a runoff. So we'll see how that goes. Lindsey Graham says, let's just go to bat for Herschel. Now, without a libertarian candidate, will it deliver the seat and the power in Congress? We're still waiting for power in the House. A man that didn't wait for power, he ran for election and won, is Glenn Jacobs. You're seeing him if you're watching Fox Nation right now in studio. Knox County Mayor, WWE Hall of Famer, known as Kane. Mr. Mayor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. So what do you think about Are you Republican or Democrat? I'm a Republican. So what do you think about the fact the wave didn't happen? Well, uh, I think as Senator Graham said, uh, you know, the predictions didn't come true as far as this huge wave. Nevertheless, the Republicans won and took care of business. They will take the House, and they uh, still have a chance of taking the Senate. And when you're looking at uh, Biden's agenda and the radical socialism that the Democrat Party is pushing, they're going to have a much harder time even if one chamber uh, is controlled by Republicans. So right now you got 500,000 people. I guess the more local you get, the less party matters, right? It's just a matter of efficiently get it done. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, to some extent there are still issues uh, that do impact us, of course. What the federal government does has a huge impact on us. Inflation uh, impacts not only the people in the county, but Knox County government as well. And now so many of these national issues and these wedge issues are, are really – uh, radiating down into the local level as well. Give me so, an idea. Well, just like with uh, things like abortion, uh, even things like gun rights, they they are in in the past. You would think, oh, these are things that are handled more at the federal and state level. Uh, but because people are so concerned about those, they do kind of uh, end up affecting us as well. So there's a couple of bipartisan things that the president did pass. Nothing to do with him. The Senate worked it out uh, right. on gun 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 reform to a degree. And they also did an infrastructure bill. Have you seen any of the money in Tennessee and Knox County? Have you seen anything with guns and red flag laws that affected you? No, and we won't in Tennessee. Because it's up to the states. Yeah, and in Tennessee, we're not going to do that. Knox County is actually a Second Amendment sanctuary county. So what we've said is that uh, we're going to protect gun rights in Knox County. We look at the infrastructure bill. We haven't seen any of the money yet. I don't think it's going to be. Did you apply uh, for it? Well, yeah, and, and across this, uh, Tennessee we did, but it's just not these huge amounts of money that was advertised. Right. For uh, sure. For the actual infrastructure part of it. I think a lot of things went to other stuff, as too often happens in Washington. A lot of green. Yeah, uh, uh, green yeah exactly. So yes. what do you guys need? I mean, if I said to you, here's, a, here's my checkbook, well, what is the main priority for Knox County? I think one of the main priorities that, w- that we would feel is for the federal government to keep their nose out of our business. We're doing really well in Tennessee. Uh, I'll give you an example. Just saw that out in Silicon Valley, uh, they're laying off bunches of people. Meanwhile, yesterday I cut the ribbon on a uh, – company in Knox County, a Japanese company that's expanding that converts garbage into clean, usable energy. So we're doing really well in Tennessee. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, anything that the feds want to do as far as money for roads and bridges and those sort of things, we would be very open to. But for the most part, uh, 
where we're doing okay as we are. Do you feel as though the Tennessee party includes the mayors when Senator Blackburn or others are cutting together? Uh, yeah. is, is that you feel part of, uh, of the structure? Absolutely. We, we have uh, Senator Haggerty, Senator Blackburn uh, on the Senate side. Governor on Lee. The, yeah, on the congressional side, we have a strong delegation. And Governor Lee just won re-election. He's doing a great job. So uh, and I work with all those people. They're really good folks. They care very much about Tennessee. And what we're seeing in Tennessee is conservative principles work and so, Republican leadership work. So you used to be in on your own successful business guy, Hall of Fame wrestler. You handle your own money, your own thing. You have your own management. A lot of people I know that go into government feel very frustrated because they try to execute decisions as so bureaucracy. Sure. How did you did you experience the same frustration? Absolutely, and part of it is actually designed that way because we're in the private sector. You're literally the dictator. If you're the boss, that's how you that's how you do things. In the public sector, since it's public money and Every citizen is a stakeholder. You have to make sure that everyone understands what's happening. You have to do things a certain way. You have to have transparency, and that slows the process down. Now, I think what happens is too much bureaucracy slows it down a lot more than it, than it has to. But I knew that going in, the, the reasons that we do things like we do those. Uh, and, and it's really for the protection of the taxpayer. Well, you got elected before. You were into uh, how many years now? This is uh, – actually, I'm starting my fifth year. So I, I yeah. won in 2018 and then – and one re-election. Our election was in August, but yes. Your election's August. So, yeah. so you're in. You're going to keep doing this. Well, you did this. I'm term limited, so this is my last term. So you told me before we started that you look at this as service. You know, this yeah. is not like give me fame, give me power. <laughs> you had that as Kane, the wrestler. Right. You've already had success uh, in college, college athlete. So tell me your mindset in taking this job. I've had a life that I could never imagine when I was a little kid. I'm a product of the American dream. I grew up on a farm in rural northeast Missouri. My folks didn't have a whole lot. And from there, I was able to, again, lead a life that I never would have thought was possible. And I look at all the other people who come from much more humble beginnings than I have and been able to do wonderful things with their life. And the reason is because you do have this thing called the American dream here. And I think it's up to people like me uh, who have lived it to preserve it for the next generation. Our freedom, our liberties, man, that's what makes America unique. Right. And you almost took it for granted until you looked around and see something. Did something well, jar you, you into putting on the suit? Man, I never really uh, took it for granted. My dad was 21 years in the military. Right. And by the way, tomorrow is Veterans Day. So happy uh, Veterans Day to all the veterans out there. Uh, but so I never really took it for granted. But when you travel around the world and you see what the rest of the world is really like, and then you come back here and uh, you you do realize you did travel this. around the world. Oh yeah, where'd you go? Oh, oh man, everywhere. Where? I've been on every continent except for Antarctica. Obviously Germany. Yeah, Ger- I mean Germany, Huge Europe, Canada, Mexico. Uh, this is just for WWE as far as performing. Japan, Australia, uh, literally every country, probably except for North Korea and Iran, almost. Uh, and this America's special. It's not special because of the landmass we occupy. It's special because of the ideals upon which this nation was founded. Right. And that's what I always say to people who are so critical, want to tear down our statues and want to talk about our past and say that we're overblown and we understand. Well, guys, if you're not happy, travel. And if you find a place that's better, stay. Right. But you'll realize what you have. But yeah. in, to, in fairness, you, it's hard. It's, if you're born into something, you've always had it. It's hard to appreciate it. You were forced to appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're exactly right. Uh, I think that many of us who were born here, and this is our universe. We don't look outside of where we live. I don't realize how incredibly special America is. 
I uh, remember doing an interview with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And one of the reasons my humble opinion is that he is so humble, if you meet him, he makes eye contact with you. I know sure. I know the way he goes with people. I've seen him walk lines. You might know him differently. But the guy I know, Dwayne Johnson, feels very appreciative of what he had. And because I think he started in wrestling, they really make you earn it. Mm-hmm. I mean, going to these things and you're $75 a night and you're in a uh, small – you don't have big crowds. You don't know yep. why you're doing it. You don't even know if – if the WWE management is noticing you, what was it like coming up? And did that give you an added appreciation for what you're experiencing Absolutely. Right now? And, and you're right about Dwayne. That's how I've always found him to be. And uh, we actually, back in the day, we actually traveled a little bit together. Um, but before I got to WWE, especially, that's how it is. You know, you're going around uh, performing in front of sometimes a dozen people not making any money, just hoping that you can fulfill your dream of making it to WWE and performing in front of thousands of people. And so when you make it, for me anyway, I'll never forget those those early days and what I had to do to get to where I got. You talk about seeing the country. You saw the world. You also oh, yeah. saw the country. So you saw some small towns, yep. small arenas. Yep. You saw the, the, the guy that works there ripping your tickets, and you see the elevator operators. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a matter of Madison Square Garden for you. No, absolutely not. The security people uh, – And I'm one of those folks that I always try to keep in mind that I treat the CEO and the janitor the same because they're all human beings. They're all just doing a job. Do you get that from your dad uh, in the military? Yeah, I think so. My mom and dad are humble, good people. I I always say when you think of hardworking Americans, you think of George and Joan Jacobs. Yeah, yeah, we're talking to Mayor uh, Glenn Jacobs of Knox County, and he's a Republican. He's noticing what's happening right now. And, of course, if there's a state that's growing faster than Tennessee, there's maybe only one or two uh, in the country because people are moving. Moving away, yes. especially during the pandemic, when people got those mandates and they were fired or told they couldn't work or they got to do this, like New York, they left for Florida. Was te- how would you characterize how Tennessee handled the pandemic? We did, what and Flor- you too. We did what Florida did uh, from the very beginning. I was, I took a firm stand against everything that I possibly could as far as the mandates, the business closures. Uh, unfortunately, some of the decisions were out of my hands. Uh, but when I did have the authority to to do what I could, uh, I think that my job, my primary job, I took an oath to support the United States Constitution, and I will do that no matter what. And what happened during the pandemic was an affront to the Constitution. Uh, it was infringement upon uh, multiple amendments in the Bill of Rights. Um, so I, I took a very strong stand, and that's paid off now. And, and we are in Tennessee. You know, our, our economy has rebounded because we never dipped as far as other places because we didn't shut down. So uh, this is just maybe a, it, there's no relevance, but I remember um, – Vince McMahon's wife, Linda McMahon, decided, successful business person, played a vital role in your organization, says, I'm going to run for senator, I'm going to run for governor. It's hard to do that in Connecticut. But then yeah. she played a vital role as the secretary of small business or small SBA. Yep. Yep. Uh, did that play a role in you at all when you see people leave that world, your world you're in, and get into this? Probably not with Linda uh, because that's a little different situation, uh, of course. Uh, but, you know, he had like Jesse Ventura uh, was he was actually a mayor and then became governor. Um, and then some other folks. Is he a friend of yours? Wrestling. I know him. He's not. No, um, right. I, I've just spoken with him. A couple I think times. He's a wacky guy. <laughs> I've spoken <laughs> with him a couple of times uh, and people always compare us. But, you know, it was actually for, for me, um, it was actually when I saw what Trump did and the fact that you know, he came in as an outsider and became president of the United States. I was like, well, gosh, if he can become president, maybe I can become mayor of Knox County. And what kind of president do you think he was? I think it was. I think it was very good. Actually, we look at the policies. We had a tremendous economy, um, you know, and 
we could say all that we want about um, his Twitter feed and and uh, sometimes him calling people out and his uh, propensity to fight. Uh, but nevertheless, that's actually what got him elected. That's what people love about him. Right. So, uh, Mr. Mayor, great to see you in person. Can I just ask you what might be next for you and to be that you're term limited? Right now, uh, I am just concentrating on being the best mayor for Knox County that I can be. And uh, if something else comes up, uh, I will consider that. But right now, not really thinking about anything. Because your wife does not love the <laughs> fact that you're working 20 no. hours a day. <laughs> she doesn't The love good it. old days when you were in a... a... <laughs> the good old days, I was also away from home all the time. <laughs> right. Which, yeah, maybe it's good that you're always having... <laughs> I used to have you around. That's right. uh, Mayor Glenn Jacobs of Knox County, uh, uh, first known as, I wouldn't say better known, but first known as Kane, now known as Mayor. Mr. Mayor, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You look at Florida, you look at Governor DeSantis, you look at Miami-Dade County, you see the way the Latino vote moved in Florida. That's the blueprint that Republicans need to take because what we did wrong in this ad, what we did wrong in this election was we put ads over infrastructure. We had a lot of bad internal polling by a lot of bad Republican pollsters telling campaigns what they should talk about and where they should target ads. That failed. We need to up our ground game tremendously yeah. going into Trace, the next cycle. Well, we'll see uh, about that. That is uh, that is Arane Perini, uh, the Trump 2020 communications director, uh, talking about the Republicans need to learn from success in Florida and preparation for the next cycle. Absolutely. And I think they're going both ways. By the way, Mitch McConnell and fighting with Rick Scott is, is just as bad as Donald Trump picking out a candidate only because they were upset with the 2020 election and thought it was fixed. There's no difference. Uh, quick note before I open up the phones at one 408 Seven six six nine. I'm getting set to finally go. We've been talking about this for a few months to go to KRMG listeners. See them on Sunday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, there are some tickets available, but VIP opportunities mostly. When I used to go out to those book signings, which I do almost every year, I feel so bad talking to people for 45 seconds after you wait for two hours. So this is an opportunity to really find out what the people of Oklahoma think, especially with the midterms. And then on Saturday, I've never been to Mississippi before. I'm going to be in Brandon, Mississippi. Let's go to Brandon. It'll be at 7 o'clock. It'll be a show on stage talking about what I do here, but also about America's past. I was able to write five history books, and the last one is out on paperback. So a chance to talk about America, the facts behind the be- the best country in the world. Uh, Alex, listen on WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. First of all, Biden is definitely going to run, and but he's going to slip just like Kamala Harris did in 2020 in the primary. So I don't think people should be lying on him running. And then so you think he'll be challenged, Alex? General. So you think he's going to be challenged I, he's in the primary? He's absolutely going to be challenged, and he's not going to get endorsed by other Democrats in his party in the primary. But here's the thing about the election two nights ago. I feel like we could have done a lot better, and we didn't, and we lost a lot of the congressional and senatorial seats because of Donald Trump. He didn't pick the wrong candidates. But he endorsed these candidates, and the Democrats look at Trump as the devil, and they're petrified of him. And so the candidates that were so tied to him, it was all about Trump this election, and they were they didn't want to vote for the Trump-endorsed candidates, and that's what we did so bad. So I don't want Trump to run in 2024. I don't think he could make it. I don't think he stands well with the country, and, and especially the Democratic Party. I want Ron DeSantis to run. But here's the thing. I'm so glad that Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis are getting into you know small fights here and there. And, They're distancing themselves from each other. Donald Trump started it, but I think it's good for DeSantis because the more distance 
that DeSantis is from Trump, the more likely it is that he could win in 2024 in a general election with the Democrats because they're not going to look at DeSantis as a Trump personality. Hey, that's a good theory. That's an excellent theory. The other problem that Donald Trump has, it's legitimate, whether you like him or not. Do you want to elect somebody that's immediately a lame duck? And these are what operatives told me. They said you could have the best candidate, he could be the most popular, but when you are a lame duck, you will become invisible. So after his inauguration, does he get anything done? For me, I like a guy that doesn't have to worry about re-election. I, think, I actually think he'll actually do more because uh, I like Trump. I just don't think he can win, but I think he will do more as a lame duck um, in terms of fighting the establishment because, because he has nothing to fear of another term, whereas Ron DeSantis is going to be afraid of starting up with the establishment, Republicans and Democrats, because he wants to win for another term. He doesn't want to see happening to him in the media that happened to Donald Trump and all the impeachments, et cetera. Glenn, always a great uh, – Alex, always a great call. Thank you so much. And, and just keep in mind, too, that Donald Trump is getting it from the Wall Street Journal today and the New York Post and the Washington Examiner, and they're going after him saying it's his fault. And I think this is an over, uh, that's an overstatement. They're, he's entitled to say this is my, this is my person. And number two is uh, it's up to them to really perform. And when it comes to Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania – Donald Trump can't make you work. I mean, Donald Trump should have vetted him better, but the guy didn't want to work. He was a hermit, didn't want to raise money, just should show up and be impressive in his speeches. But he was not even pressing to do events. Number two, General Don Bolduc, you cannot take give, hang that on Trump. Trump did not back him. Governor Sununu asked him to stay out of it. And when he did it the last week, I don't think you can do that. But... I think Trump would have done really well if he just wrote a few checks to the people that he put out there. I think it would eliminate a lot of the criticism. And a lot of people gave money to President Trump thinking that he was going to give it to his back candidates. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget to watch One Nation. It's 48 hours away. Coming up at 8 o'clock Saturday night, Eastern Time on Fox News. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.